good morning. Uh, how are y'all today? Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's get into this. Let's stand. We're going to read the, uh, uh, John's account of uh, Palm Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that we can trust you. And I trust you today, Father. I, I, whatever I have to say, I, I can't change anybody, but you can change every one of us. And I pray that you would in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the week coming up, we, we call Holy Week. And the reason we call it Holy Week, the Bible doesn't actually use that phrase, doesn't call it Holy Week. We call it Holy Week. But uh, it is, it's because of all of, the, uh, all of the events, all of the things that, that happen uh, during this week. And the week actually, uh, in the way that it well, first of all, let me just say, a number of the things are things that you already know about. Uh, some of the things, maybe some things that you haven't necessarily considered. Uh, the week actually would start tomorrow. Uh, and the reason why I say it would start tomorrow is because Jesus was the Lamb of God, and he, he, needed, to be, he needed to be tested. See, over, uh, uh, over in Exodus, during the Passover, and Passover is that occasion where they put the blood on the, on the doorpost, on, the, on the, the sides and on the top of the doorpost, uh, so that when the death angel passed through the land, those who were in uh, a, a, a place where it was covered by this blood would not be killed that night when the death angel went to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. Uh, but what, as you, you probably know that they, they slaughtered a lamb and that's where they got the blood. But they didn't just go get a lamb and kill it and put the blood up there. No. What they were instructed to do was on the 10th day of the month, they were supposed to get the lamb. And they were supposed to keep it with them and examine it until the 14th day of the month when it was slaughtered. And so that was five days. On the fifth day, it was slaughtered. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, examination, examination, Friday, slaughter. Uh, but it does start off with a bang. It does start off with this, uh, this event on, um, on Palm Sunday. 
During the next few days, Jesus was tested. Uh, he was tested. He was tested politically. Uh, there were those who sent to Jesus and asked him, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the reason why they were asking this question is they were trying to trap him. Because if he said, yeah, you're supposed to pay taxes to Caesar, then they could spread that word among the, um, among the populace. Jesus, Jesus is in favor of taxes. Jesus wants to raise your taxes. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says you should pay taxes to Caesar. And most of you are aware of the answer that Jesus gave to them. He said, well, bring me a coin. And when they did, he said, now, whose picture's on this coin? And they said, well, that's Caesar. He said, well, give Caesar what belongs to him. Give to God what belongs to God. See, they had come out of a culture. They had come out of an idea that somehow or another, paying taxes to Caesar and giving honor to God were intertwined in such a way that you really couldn't do one without the other. But Jesus didn't have that perspective at all. Giving honor to God has nothing to do with whether or not you pay taxes to Caesar. So, so you, you've mixed this stuff up, but they're two very separate things. There are things that belong to Caesar. There are things that belong to God. And then, uh, and then the, the religious test came. The, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus. And uh, I, I really, this is my favorite one, actually, because... Uh, they believed only in the law of Moses, and they couldn't see the resurrection in the law of Moses. And so they came to Jesus, and they said, uh, you know, according to Moses, if a, if a man dies and his wife, his widow, there's no child, then his brother has to marry her and raise up a child. The first child will be raised up in his brother's name, and his name won't perish. Uh, strange kind of idea to think of today, but that was the way that they did it. And he said, you know, there was this, there was this situation where there were seven brothers and the first one married this woman and he died and, and, and they didn't have any children. And so the next brother married her and, and, and he died and they didn't have any children. And the next brother married her and he died and they didn't have any children. And I don't know what's wrong with these brothers that they keep marrying this woman, <laughs> but all, all seven of them married her and nobody had any children. And so in this resurrection, so-called, that you think is going to happen, whose wife is she going to be? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Gotcha. Jesus, won't, no, you, you don't got me. Actually, no, Jesus, Jesus' English was better than that. I think he spoke English. Anyway, it's, prob it's probably Middle English. I don't know. Uh, but Jesus said, no, you're in error. You're in error because you, uh, you don't understand the Scripture. First of all, in eternity, they're not going to be married or given in marriage. They, um, they'll be like the angels in heaven. And, and quite honestly, uh, you know, if you've lost a spouse, that, that's, a, that's a little bit disturbing. But I trust God. It's going to be okay uh, when we get there. That will all be sorted out. But he said, and regarding the resurrection... You, you don't think you see it anywhere in Moses, huh? Well, when Moses was at the burning bush and he asked God what his name was, God said, I am that I am. But he said something else as well. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob had died 400 years prior to that. Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. 
you're greatly in error. And so he is being tested throughout the week. What is the greatest commandment and, and, and these other things? So that when it came to the end of the week, when it came time for the sacrifice, Pilate was the one who passed judgment. And his judgment was, I find no fault with this man. I find no fault at all. This is the perfect sacrifice. I, I, Pilate didn't know he was saying this is the perfect sacrifice, but that was what he was saying. And so uh, other, other things during the week that, that you would know about, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus, agreed to betray Jesus uh, during the week. Uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet as an example. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that is what I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do what I've done for you. And he instituted the table, the table that we came to this morning and that people have been coming to for 2,000 years almost at this point in time. I mean, Jeremy was talking about how many get to come. Uh, it's been happening for a long time. And he gave the new commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Uh, the, the old commandment, I guess that you would juxtapose that with, is love your neighbor as yourself, which sometimes is a little problematic because sometimes we don't have a very good opinion of ourselves, and sometimes we don't love ourselves very well. And so if we don't, I guess we got an out. I don't have to love you either because that government don't love me. <laughs> Jesus says, no, it's not that anymore. Love them the way I love you got nothing to do with what you've done. I just love you. And that's how you're supposed to do it. Great, great commandment. And of course, the week ended up with Jesus being condemned and crucified. So it seems like everything really spiraled downhill. I mean, it started out with this, this great bang, this entry into Jerusalem, a glorious day. Jesus had recently raised Lazarus from the dead, and word of that was, was spreading everywhere. And the people are waving palm branches and they're, and they're, and they're throwing their coats on the, on the road for a donkey to walk on for, for crying out loud. It's hard to say that word without thinking about Shrek. Donkey. Yeah. Uh, but scripture was being fulfilled here. Yeah. Zechariah had said, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a, a donkey, on the colt, the fold of a donkey. Sherry, in uh, her teaching this last week for the uh, uh, Lent devotionals, pointed out that when a king came into town on a horse, he was coming for war. If he came into town on a donkey, he was coming for peace. And that's true. An another thing that I would also add into that is, uh, you know, sometimes they would, if they were coming back home, sometimes they would ride into town on a horse because they had just won a great victory. Uh, and, but sometimes when they won a great victory, they'd come in on a donkey because don't want anybody looking at the horse. I'm enough. Look at me. And Jesus, Jesus was enough. And the people are shouting, Hosanna. They're calling Jesus the king of Israel. They're calling him the son of David. You ever, you ever been caught up in a celebration like that? I mean, where just, things just whoo, 
move right. I know the Titans have not won a Super Bowl, but if they did, you, you, you can imagine you'd be caught up in a, in a celebration that uh, uh, be hard to resist. So that's how Holy Week starts, but we know that Holy Week ends with a crowd that had been shouting, Hosanna, welcome to the son of David, shouting, crucify him. And those who had tried to trick him, I'd say it's ironic, but nothing hardly is ironic anymore when you get to be my age. It's kind of ironic that those who came to him and tried to trick him with, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not pay taxes to Caesar are now shouting, we have no king but Caesar. And so things have just, the world's turned upside down and Jesus is crucified and he's buried in a tomb. How did we get here? How, how did it go from that to that? Well, most of us are uh, content to simply know what happened. And a few are curious enough to dig into why, examine why something happened. Almost none of us are willing to look at what happened and what it means and come to the conclusion that we're looking in a mirror. But we are. A long time ago, I, I know I wasn't in the ministry yet, so it had to be a long time ago, uh, maybe 40, 45, 50 years ago, something. No, okay, forget the math. Long time ago, I, uh, as I was reading the Bible and I, and I was just reading copious amounts of it, and several times I'd go through the account of the children of Israel and their wanderings in the wilderness. You know, it's easy to look at the children of Israel and their wanderings in the wilderness and go, duh, what is wrong with these people? I mean, they saw all of the plagues in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea split open. They saw water come from the rock. They heard the voice of God from the mountain. And, and yet they just keep on not trusting. They just keep on not believing this must be the stupidest nation that has ever been created in the history of mankind. And one day God just spoke to me and said, you think you're any different? Oh, well, I kind of thought I was, but when, uh, when I was in uh, Zimbabwe, we were in Zimbabwe for three years. Those of you who don't know, in the mid-80s, a man named Ezekiel Goody was over the ministry there. And, uh, and Ezekiel had certainly grown up there, but he had spent a good amount of time uh, traveling the world. I, in fact, I met him here for the first time. And I'll, you know, it's so simple. But I, and I don't even remember the context of exactly what we were talking about. But I'll never forget him looking me in the face one day and saying, people are people. Oh, in fact, I think I kind of do remember the context. It was about what the desires that people have and the, and the dreams and the aspirations and the goals and the fears that they have. And what he was saying was that the people in Zimbabwe have exactly the same aspirations and goals and fears as the people in the United States or the people in Europe or the people in China. People are people. And you know what? They haven't changed People of thousands of years ago had exactly the same desires, ambitions, and fears that we've got. People are people. 
And the people did not understand what Jesus was there to do. We think that because occasionally we'll read the Bible or maybe we listen to really great podcast or uh, read a good book every now and then, we, we think that, you know, we've got a pretty good grip on what Jesus is all about, and what, what he would come to do. You know, now, they obviously didn't know because they didn't know, but we know. People are people. The things haven't really changed. We, we have expectations just like they had expectations, uh, political expectations. See, Rome was, a, uh, was an empire, and there were advantages and there were disadvantages to, to this empire. Uh, the advantages, travel was relatively safe. Trade was uh, available. Uh, Roman justice, I, yeah, I know it was a little rough around the edges, but I mean, if you stop to consider, it was Roman justice that was trying to keep from sending Jesus, an innocent man, to the cross. And so there was such a thing as, as Roman justice and knowledge and learning were advanced. The disadvantages were taxes were pretty high, unless you're, you know, rich enough to not pay taxes. And there was corruption. And if you were an oppressed people, as the Jews were at that time, then you did not have equal citizenship. Well, gee, what has changed? Taxes are high unless you're rich enough to not pay taxes. Corruption is everywhere. And not just corruption in government. I mean, you name an institution, it's got corruption in it. A, a lot of corruption. And not just in those countries, in this country, everywhere. Because it's the world, the world system. And John says over in 1 John chapter 5, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And if you're an oppressed people, you don't have equal citizenship. It's just that you may say that you do, but you really don't. And Rome, Rome also had some control over religion. Now, you were allowed to carry on religion. You were... Uh, there were some restrictions. You know, you uh, would have to do some things. And the radicals among them considered those restrictions to be unbearable. And so, you know, we've got to, we got to do something about this. We've got to get rid of the Romans. Uh, religion and politics became so bound up in that day that when Jesus came, the people could only see him in a political context. Messiah must come and break the power of Rome. That's what he's come to do. What did Jesus do to break the power of Rome? That's a, that's, I'm not expecting anybody to shout out the answer because the answer is nada, zip, zilch, zero. He didn't do anything to overtly break the power of Rome. Oh, he went after corruption, but when he went after corruption, he went after the temple, not the Roman barracks. If Jesus, if, if Jesus were to come today, uh, where would he go first to sort things out? Oh, hey, he'd go to Washington. Well, you know, if that's where I live, that's where he'd go. Because really where he's likely to go is my house. Not just my house in terms of a building. I'm talking about right here. That's where he goes 
That's where he would, first of all, go to sort things out. And not only were there political expectations, there were religious expectations. They, they were taught certain things about Messiah, to expect certain things. Look into it and you will see that no prophet comes from Galilee. Well, you, you will if you don't read Isaiah. Because I, I, Isaiah said that the, in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea, the people walking in darkness have have seen a great light. Well, well he, when he comes, he's going to come as a conqueror. But Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So, and I, you know, I know, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to come back on a white horse. Yes, he, yeah, I, I understand all that. And I do believe his second coming will be very different from his first coming. I also believe that it will be totally different from anything I can imagine. From, from anything that I can picture and put together and go, oh, that's what it's going to look like. He will come and restore the kingdom to Israel. Have you ever, uh, you know, I, when the disciples asked Jesus, you know, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I, for years, I read that passage and thought that they were asking if Israel was going to get to rule a bunch of other places or re, rule the earth. But that's not what they ask. They ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is Israel going to have a king again? Well, he did. Their king did come, but they rejected him. Because the kingdom was not what they expected. They wanted a worldly kingdom. And so uh, the other expectations are human expectations. Save now. That's what Hosanna means. Save now. The momentum is here. Uh, you raise Lazarus from the dead. All these people are in town. They're all totally on your side. Let's do it. Uh, we'll give you five days to make this happen. That's longer than we would. Yeah. And, and, and once you do, we're going to be better off materially uh, now. I mean, you know, it, it's been a struggle, but he's here now, so we're all going to have everything that we want. And it kind of sounds a little bit like, come to Jesus, you're going to be handsomer, you're going to be richer, you're going to be healthier, you're going to be skinnier. Just give your life to Jesus. And all that is what's going to happen and be the result. The greatest misunderstanding of all that they had was concerning freedom. Over in, over in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews. And, uh, and he says to the Jews who believed in him, he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you will be my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The most abused verse in all of the Bible. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, except the sentence starts out with the word then. Which means if you hold my teaching and become my disciple, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the Jews replied to him, well, we're, 
What are you talking about? We're Abraham's descendants. We, we're, we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Well, there was that little 400-year period in Egypt, I think, that you were maybe in, this, in slavery. But what country doesn't have its little secrets that it tries to kind of cover up and, and, and forget about from the past? They had a limited idea of freedom. But Jesus was talking about a different kind of freedom. He said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the house, but if the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We want to be set free from something out there. We want to be set free from this, or we want to be set free from that. We want to be set free from, uh, from this oppressor or that oppressor. And, and Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, what you need to be set free from isn't out there, it's in here. That's, that's the real freedom. That's what I came to do. People are people. Jesus didn't didn't come just to set them free from Rome because they could be the Romans could be gone and they'd still be enslaved. And so we think, well, you know, if this would just change, then I would be okay. But that's not it. This has to change. And then this will take care of itself because God's got it because he's got me. Until he gets me, it doesn't matter what changes out there. I'm still enslaved. We want to, to see Rome brought down, but Jesus didn't come to change the world. Jesus did not come to change the world. Jesus came to destroy all the works of the evil one, and that includes the world. And bring the kingdom of God in its place. He came to destroy death and bring life. We're so narrow. We're so limited. So in our perspective, we, we intend him to conform to our ideas of what needs to get done. And he, he didn't come to conform to our ideas. He came to conform us to him. That's what he came to do. The Passover. Passover was uh, the type of, of true salvation from death. But it was also the type of prelude to freedom. The, uh, the blood of the Passover saved them from death for one night. Now, don't be distracted by these people. This is a dramatic moment, guys. <laughs> the blood of the Passover... Saved them from death for one night. The blood of the Lamb saves us from death for eternal life. The events of the Passover brought about physical freedom from slavery in Egypt. The cross brings real freedom. This Holy Week. Yes, I know we focus on the events of the week, but, but look beyond that. Look beyond the news headlines. Look beyond the Facebook post for crying out loud. Look, look beyond the noise and the, and the static. 
that drowns out the message. Imagine a king who has come not to change the world, but to make all things new. Sometimes I look at the world and I go, how, how can this possibly ever get resolved in this unresolvable situation? He didn't come to resolve this situation. He came to destroy this situation and start something completely brand new. Don't just look back, look forward. Over in Revelation says this, you don't have to stand, in fact, don't stand, but read it with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and who sits on the throne? The king. <laughs> Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away.